0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast, a conversation designed to help leaders go further, faster. I'm Andy Stanley and I'll be your guide today, but before we jump into today's podcast content, I wanna tell you about a brand new tool that our friends at Belay have developed to help you maximize productivity, whether your team works from home or at the office or both. As you know, maximizing productivity in today's work environment means changing the lens with which we view and honestly even measure our team's productivity. Organizational life is substantially different than it was just a year ago, and for many of us, it shows no sign of returning to the old way of doing things. But one thing that hasn't changed, and you know this, is productivity. Productivity is still measured by results whenever and wherever the work happens belay understands this so they provide virtual assistant bookkeeping and social media strategist services for companies just like yours and this month for all of our podcast listeners they're offering a free resource entitled essential strategies to unleash your productivity to take advantage of this incredible offer visit belay slash andy that's belay solutions b-e-l-a-y belay slash andy for this free and helpful resource and now let's jump into today's podcast episode. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast, where we help leaders go further faster. I'm Andy, and today our topic is corporate culture. And to ensure that this month's podcast will actually help you go further faster, my special guest is Ginger Hardage, who you may know as the Senior Vice President of Culture and Communications at Southwest. Airlines Um, during her 25-year run. We're going to talk about that. Well, Southwest, Ginger led the team responsible for building and sustaining that legendary culture that we are all familiar with. We either encountered it or we heard about it until, honestly, we were tired of hearing about it because it made many of us feel like we have fallen way behind in creating an energetic culture. Anyway, so for sure, we have an expert in the room when it comes to corporate culture. Thanks for joining us, Ginger.
1: Andy, thank you so much. You know, uh, my first encounter with you was in person, was backstage at LeaderCast. And uh, I felt no pressure to be there in front of a legend uh, and about to be presenting in front of thousands. But uh, no surprise, you were encouraging and just set the right tone. And uh, boosting others' confidence just comes naturally to you.
0: I can't imagine that anyone needs to boost your confidence. But thank you for saying that. It's always um, interesting who we meet in green rooms, isn't it?
1: It is. It is. And and I usually meet people that I listen to their podcasts, I read their books, and uh, so it's always uh, such a treat.
0: Yeah, I, I actually call those folks my green room friends because I only <laughs> see them in green rooms. It's like, oh, there's those famous people I only see in green rooms. And we act like we know each other. And then we never see each other again until there's an event. Well, anyway, again, thanks so much for giving us some of your time. Um, before we jump into the content, I would love for you to catch our audience up on what you've been up to lately. You left Southwest Airlines, I think, in 2016. Is that right? That's
1: right. 2016. That's right. And then
0: you started your own company around some of the takeaways uh, that you discovered. We're going to talk about some of those as it relates to culture. So just catch us up, and then we'll jump into this content.
1: Yeah, certainly. I started a company called Unstoppable Cultures, and it's all about helping create cultures of enduring greatness. So, focusing on other organizations and sharing those lessons learned. And then also, based on my volunteer activity with Ronald McDonald House through the years, I'm now the global chair of Ronald McDonald House Charities, uh, which is now definitely a global organization and in countries across the world.
0: And um, because I knew we were going to talk about that, I looked into that a little bit. So this, you know, for for most people when they hear about the Ronald McDonald House, I think they think there's actually a Ronald McDonald House somewhere. But this is an enormous organization. It's really kind of a franchise of nonprofits. So just talk a little bit about that, because so many of our listeners work in the for-profit and the nonprofit world, and you have the um, unique opportunity to have, again, created culture in a somewhat new, not industry, but a new organization or new to a lot of people with Southwest, and then you've dropped into an organization that has been around for a long, long time and it helped reshape culture. So talk just a little bit about how the Ronald McDonald House is organized, then we'll jump into the content.
1: Certainly, Ronald McDonald House is in 65 different countries, and those are actually through chapters. Uh, of course, very firmly in the United States, but also in 65 countries across the world. And there are houses—literally uh, 375 houses—that are very near children's hospitals, which allows family-centered care. So when your child is sick. All you're concerned about is your child. And we are able to allow those people to stay at the houses where many of their needs are met, their emotional needs, their physical needs, such as their housing and meals are provided for them. But we also do family rooms inside hospitals. There's 260 family rooms that are inside hospitals. And then care mobiles, which are huge vans uh, that actually provide care out in underserved communities. And wonderful volunteer activity because uh, over 500,000 volunteers help make Ronald McDonald House successful.
0: That is amazing. Um, You know, working within the context of local church, which is a volunteer-driven organization, um, volunteer-driven organizations are exciting and difficult to manage because they are Volunteers and they, and they don't have to show up unless they are intrinsically and extrinsically properly motivated to do so. So that's that's quite remarkable, and I'm sure a a huge departure to some extent from what you were doing before. Um, so you have developed this talk or this content around um, what you call the five lies of corporate culture, and I want us to talk through those in just a minute. But first, before we do that, kind of stepping back into your former career. Um, culture and development of culture and protecting culture has been a common thread throughout your career. So, I'm just interested. I don't even know if this is a good question. Why culture? How did you get engaged in or how did you become so fascinated, I guess, with corporate culture? And, and the reason I, I ask that is every leader listening is involved in some sort of corporate culture. An organization never has to think about it or talk about it, but they have one. Every culture, every organization has one. But for you, this wasn't just a, oh, we have one. This became a passion that, again, you've carried with you even after you left um, Southwest Airlines. So talk just about how did this become such a big deal to you? So much so, again, that this is, continues to be something you love to talk about.
1: Well, you certainly hit upon it, Andy, because every organization has culture. And it can either be one that they create, uh, or it's one that just happens by default. So what I'm interested in is organizations being intentional in creating the kind of culture that's going to drive their organizations forward. So we've all probably worked at some sort of dysfunctional culture at some point uh, in time. But um, I'm talking about the kind of culture that will drive job applicants. People are going to want to come work at your organization, where your employees are going to act like owners and be a part of driving your business results. And your tenure is going to increase with those employees. And then when um, looking for being able to create the kind of magic when the purpose of an organization can match up to what an individual does in that organization and drive the results of the organization forward and helping organizations find that magic inside their culture.
0: Well, one of the things that happened at Southwest Airlines is what you just touched on, somehow you and the people around you were able to, to use your term, magically combine the um, personal passions of employees with the passion and the unique culture of Southwest Airlines. So there seemed, they, it's as if you, obviously the hiring process was part of that because you were able to hire the right people that, again, synced up with what you were trying to accomplish. But backing up just a little bit, when it comes to young leaders specifically, and again, this is a little off topic, but I but I would love for you to weigh in on this. A lot of um, young leaders I know come into our organization and they just haven't lived long enough to discover their purpose. Um, it, it takes some time. It's a bit like maturity. You can't mature without time. It's necessary. And I think in terms of discovering personal purpose, the same is true. So what was your experience with young leaders because you harnessed the energy of those young leaders who were searching for purpose while at the same time you're, you're trying to overlay a corporate purpose on individuals who are still trying to find their individual purpose. How how did you manage that tension? Because it's a tension that I feel like we have to manage
1: Well, Southwest Airlines had a purpose from the very beginning and a great culture. It was founded in 71 by Herb Kelleher and also a woman named Colleen Barrett. And they worked from the very beginning to put a firm culture in place. And one of the things that we always worked on at Southwest was understanding our strengths. And the organization has gone even deeper on that. Not only does the organization uh, know all of its strengths as a company, but it helps the individual focus on their strengths either through Strength Finders, Myers Briggs, other ways. So that's what I recommend for organizations: is to help your employees find their strengths. And we've all heard the term right seat on the bus, helping those individuals find the right seat on their bus. So we always talked at Southwest Airlines about our purpose. And our purpose was to connect people to what's important in their lives. And we did that through three ways, friendly, reliable, and low-cost air travel. And friendly, that, that translates to providing hospitality at every point, Reliable, that's the pilot or the employees at the airport are going to make sure your flight's on time. And then low cost, because you can't have low fares without having low cost and looking at employees, looking after those low cost in every possible way. So it's helping those employees get into the organization, find the right seat on the bus. And that's one of the things we really encouraged at Southwest. We didn't expect people to come in and I'm going to be a flight attendant forever. They might decide they want to do that, but if they want to go and get training in another area and uh, take on another role at the organization, that was highly encouraged. And I think we've all worked at organizations where you come in and uh, it wasn't encouraged for you to, in different areas, but as we know and as we've learned over time, that makes an employee so much more valuable if they could have spent different times and learning and adding value in different levels throughout the organization.
0: And then the longevity connected to that, obviously, you basically, in a positive way, recycle culture and reinforce culture because the longer people are there, obviously, the more entrenched they are in the culture, and that trickles down through the rest of the organization. And then with the Ronald McDonald House, same type of thing. Are you, are, do you have an opportunity to interface with new, younger employees? Or are, I know you're at the global organization, so do you feel kind of removed from that? Do you miss that, or do you still have that opportunity?
1: Well, I think uh, the pandemic has certainly made all of us miss a lot of things. So during this time, I haven't been able to go into the houses because of the protocol that they've had in place. And I'm very anxious to get back out and uh, be back in the houses again. But the staff of Ronald McDonald House has stayed so in touch, like many organizations have, the 50 different programs that they have altered and how the organization has looked at how we're gonna take care of families in different ways by uh, providing hotel rooms in some cases, or repurposing the houses uh, to be able to take care of healthcare workers. So if families weren't able to fully occupy the houses at times, healthcare workers were able to stay there because they would be very close to the hospital uh, where they were spending so much of their time. So the example that comes to mind is in Guatemala uh, where the house was repurposed to really take care of healthcare workers during that time. So I'm anxious to get back out again and uh, be in the houses again, but like many organizations, Ronald McDonald House has stayed in touch with those constant Zoom meetings, uh, close team catch-ups, and being there for the organization to zig and zag, uh, to be able to continue to serve their mission.
0: That's a great example of one of the things I have been saying to leaders over and over, especially in this season, that during times of extraordinary disruption, Sometimes we have to set our entire model aside in order as to stay focused on the mission. And that is a great example to repurpose the houses. I mean, that's not the model. The model is we built these houses specifically to do something very specific. Suddenly there's disruption. That model doesn't work. So what do we do? Do we, you know, take our toys and go home, hit pause and wait for this to go away? No, you you basically embrace the different model because the mission at Ronald McDonald House is so Um, is so precise, it was probably easy for you to do that or easier for you to do that because, again, you had a very narrow mission. So that's, but that's a topic for another day. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, our sponsor for today's episode, Belay, is offering our listeners an exclusive free resource entitled Essential Strategies to Unleash Your Productivity. Because let's face it, life and work aren't exactly back to normal for most of us. But hybrid work environments can thrive if and when we equip our teams with techniques to maximize productivity, and obviously thereby maximize results. So don't miss this opportunity to get a copy of this free resource. Just go to belaysolutions.com slash Andy. That's B-E-L-A-Y, belaysolutions.com slash Andy to get yours today. And now let's jump back into our conversation. Um, I want us to jump into these um, five lies that you've identified that relate to corporate culture. And um, as I have heard you talk about these, and as I've reviewed these for our conversation, they are always relevant, and I think they're relevant for every organization. So let's try to cover the first two this month, and then maybe get to the last three um, in our second um, conversation for next month. So let's jump in. The first one is um, culture. The first lie is culture is fluffy. We have both heard this so many times. Why talk about it? Why meet about it? Why read books about it? It's too soft. It's intangible. We can't measure it. What do you say?
1: Well, I I say I get it. If you think culture is all about, you know, having a ping pong table or balloons or things like that, that is not the kind of culture we're talking about. There's certainly nothing wrong with a ping pong table or balloons, but I'm talking about the kind of culture that can drive your bottom line and improve your business results. So when when we think about great corporate cultures, I think some of the organizations that I often hear about are Chick-fil-A. Uh, which is number one in financial performance in the casual restaurant category. Trader Joe's, again, number one in consumer preference. And then, of course, my favorite, Southwest Airlines, which is 47 years of consistent profitability. So these are companies that start their drive for business results with their employees. So a lot of us are looking right now, coming out of the pandemic, we're focusing on our customers absolutely as we should, but we can only begin to put our customers first if we start with our employees first. So, our employees have the level of training, the support, and the empowerment to act like owners so they can, in turn, take care of our customers and our shareholders are going to return. And that cycle is going to keep going. Those happy employees are going to take care of the customers and the shareholders are and stakeholders are going to be taken care of. So, that's what um, I'm talking about in terms of a kind of culture that isn't fluffy and focuses on business results.
0: And again, for as you mentioned up front, those of us who have worked in healthy cultures, you can't necessarily define it. You just know it was healthy. Um, if you work in an unhealthy culture, it's easier to define because the problems are so—they um, they surface so quickly. In a healthy culture, sometimes we don't even recognize how healthy it is because— Again, it's more drama-free. But here's the question that entrepreneurs are going to ask, and you know, I would be tempted to ask if I was a bit more skeptical: Is okay? That's great, but how? Honestly, how does that translate into profit? I mean, what is the trickle down? Because the things we can count obviously get our attention and usually keep our attention because we can count them. um, It's how we measure our progress. Measuring progress in terms of culture, it's it's very difficult to do because it's again it's it's not unnecessary but it's just so oftentimes intangible. So in your experience, what's what's the connection or what are the connections between uh, healthy culture and profitability and then if you want to just go from there and talk about how you go about creating healthy culture.
1: Right. Well, I think you have to focus on your return on culture, just like you, retur- uh, you focus on your return on investment. Wow. You've got to re- focus on your return on culture. And is that measurable? It absolutely is. And it depends on what you're trying to change within your organization. So one of the things a lot of organizations are focusing on is retention, and that is measurable, and that's directly tied To a strong culture, because I've I've worked with an organization that wanted to improve their culture, but they had to first start with uh, improving their retention. So what needed to change in their organization to allow them to focus on their retention? And customer satisfaction is another thing that's directly tied to culture. How are our employees delivering that great customer satisfaction? We have to listen to our employees as well, because sometimes that lack of customer satisfaction could be based on a bad policy. So how do we change that policy? to make, uh, make it possible for our employees to be able to give that great customer service. And how are we encouraging that? And I'll, and I'll talk about storytelling more later, but one of the ways we encourage that great customer satisfaction results and delivery at Southwest was to continually tell stories about it, about how the customer letters that might've come in and what they were saying about, that our employees did that made such a difference in their lives and made them want to come back to Southwest Airlines. So, how are we sharing those stories about those results within our within our organizations?
0: So, customer satisfaction and retention. I mean, that, those are two super concrete ways. But I think we all pay attention to. But I don't know that we necessarily correlate those to the health of a culture. But you're absolutely right. Those are trickle down. Those are those are overflow or reflections of corporate culture. So that's that's really helpful. Um, what do you say to the person who says, "Well"? okay, I inherited a culture. I-, I walked into a well-established culture. It's not a good one. It's not a healthy one, but it seems so enmeshed, both in terms of the personalities, the history. Is it, is it realistic to think that I can change the culture of an organization? Can you just, you know, give that group of people a little bit of hope before we jump into number two?
1: Yes, and, and I think especially if, if you're the leader of the organization, you can do a lot to set the tone for the organization because nothing can turn an organization toxic faster than the leader not setting the example. So a wonderful time to change culture is if you're coming in as a new leader and setting the tone for what you expect by your by your visibility in the organization, by setting your expectations and modeling the values that you actually want other people to follow.
0: Can you think of something that you did initially when you came to Southwest Airlines? And again, you had, you know, people around you that had been there before you, and you know, there was already a culture and there was already a tone and because of your role, you had a lot of influence, but you didn't have all the influence. What Can you think of something that you did that you feel like, looking back, made a significant difference, or um, was a significant value add to the culture at Southwest Airlines?
1: We had so many programs we were always looking at to try to um, adjust the levers because cult, your culture is not, is not stagnant. Um, so one of the things we definitely did uh, was we put a program in place for leaders. It was called Leaders on Location and where we took the top 200 leaders in the organization and they literally adopted one of the cities that Southwest served. Uh, so, for example, the head of technology might have been adopted West Palm Beach, for example, the airport there. And that leader would go spend intentional time in the airport, helping those employees, um, helping under understand what their issues were and bringing those issues back and trying to help them solve any issues that that they might have. So what that did that that kept that leader linked to the mission of the organization. And it also helped those employees in West Palm Beach understand even more about what the head of technology might be doing to help improve their lives and the lives of the customers. So that's an example of putting leadership closer to the mission of the organization and getting them out of their office.
0: Yeah, anytime we can reduce the distance between corporate and kind of boots on the ground in the actual retail environment, is super important. And I would think, and again, the organization I work in is so much smaller. I would think with a larger organization, the temptation is to think, oh, we can't do that. Because if he can't visit every airport, why visit one airport? But to you know, it's the do for one what you wish you could do for everyone principle. By bypassing that roadblock of we can't make it fair and even, you actually created opportunities for them to drop in deep into the organization and again, learn things they wouldn't learn otherwise. And again, if you're at the airport, the culture of, hey, we really do care, and we really have taken time out of our schedule to do what we don't necessarily have to do It's beyond job description. I would think that would be uh, something that enhanced or helped create culture. So I'm sure the feedback on that must have been fantastic.
1: Great feedback uh, from both sides, and it really uh, drew the organization together. The other thing I'd, I'd say to anyone really trying to work on their culture is to look at your level of communication how are you communicating within in the organization? And that's one thing I think a lot of companies have recognized during the pandemic is the need to communicate increase their communication more. And I'll, I'll give the example again of Southwest Airlines. Uh, the CEO of Southwest Airlines, Gary Kelly, uh, when he became CEO in 2004, uh, he started a weekly message to employees. So he would, back in 2004, you know, we'd listen to it on our flip phones, right? Uh, but he's carried forward, carried it forward all the way to today, where uh, employees can listen to the message from the CEO. They can read the message. Um, but during the pandemic, on top of that weekly message, he also sent out over 60 videos. So what, and, and I don't think that rate is going to slow down because it was another way to reach employees directly. So um, to any organization looking at how to improve their culture, look at your level of communication and how frequently you're out there communicating to your employees wow. on all yeah. your channels.
0: That's, um, that's a great reminder for all of us because that kind of communication never feels mission critical, it never feels urgent it rarely even feels important, but it may be the most important thing we do. So that's that's a good reminder. Okay, uh, let's jump into lie number two. Lie number two is culture is someone else's job. Culture is someone else's job. And the reason I would be tempted to believe that is because culture doesn't even seem like a job. It seems like a responsibility, but I don't know how to do it, so somebody else is going to have to do it. So lie number two is culture is somebody else's job. Talk about that one
1: well actually in the most healthy organizations culture's everyone's job but in it is also it's definitely a requirement for leaders again and i'll use the the same phrase acting like owners that's what we want all of our employees to do but our leaders are the ones who set the tone and making sure that culture is a top priority. Um, and so one of the things we did, we you can add it to your job description. Uh, and we did that at Southwest. I every year had my job review with the CEO and how I led uh, the culture. Uh, was part was part of my job description, but so was it for the airport director in Amarillo. How would, would that, was that individual leading the culture of the organization? That was on his or her job description as well. So I, one metric all of us as leaders can look at is look at our calendars. How much time are we actually spending interacting with our employees, whether that's going taking that 30-minute break And and when we can, now that uh, we're coming out with the the recovery in the pandemic, how are we going out and doing that face-to-face time with our employees? How are we out there? And um, so the great example of Gary Kelly going out, uh, not only his 17 years of that weekly message, but amping it up and sending out those videos with increasing that face-to-face communication and how other organizations are doing it, so we all have a culture, let's make sure we're not doing it by default, mm. and we're being very intentional by going out there as leaders.
0: Yeah, one of the things that I've noticed, and I've said this to leaders before, I'd love to get your reaction, then we'll wrap up this first conversation, is um, our is 25 years old and I'm a founder, so the longer I'm in our culture, the less aware I am of our culture. It's just the temperature of the room for me, right? Uh, a new employee comes on in, or uh, we you know, hire somebody new, and they're um, suddenly stepping into our culture. It's like stepping into a room that's a different temperature, right? They've, they've not adjusted. So they, new people are very aware of the culture as they are trying to transition from whatever culture they came from, or if they're right out of school, it's their first marketplace culture. So how do you, you know, because you were there 25 years, what did you do to ensure that you were aware of the culture, not just part of it, and had grown so accustomed to it? Again, you lost your awareness. The, you know, more time in creates less awareness of, but somehow you were able to avoid falling into that trap because you seemed to stay on the cutting edge of culture. You sensed uh, the, the positives, the negatives. Somehow you were able to feel it and not just become a part of it. Does that make sense?
1: Total sense. And one of the things we did um, at every one of our onboarding sessions, when you're bringing in new employees, we would make sure one of the leaders spent time with those employees. That's a great way to reconnect. Um, And it, it really causes you to feel the culture all over again when you're out there sharing it with new employees. So in an onboarding session, uh, the new the leader who had been there for 30 years uh, went into the class and talked about what their experiences were and also reconnected with those employees. So um, it, it's, that, it's that leadership visibility issue mm-hmm. on how we are going out there as leaders spending time with employees. But it's also, uh, if you're in a larger organization, you may need to use Use other tools such as surveying to stay in touch with employees, and um, yeah. And one of one of my favorite questions in surveying is, "How would you describe your job at your company? Is it is it just a job? Is it a stepping stone to something else you want to do, or is it truly a calling?" Mm. And as organizations, how are we creating an environment where employees can find their calling? And so that's. That's one of the things we always try to do at Southwest is help people find their calling and help leaders stay connected uh, through visibility by going out in the organization frequently.
0: Yeah, we have an environment we call a line um, that we require new employees to go through. And then every three years, people who've been here for a while have to go back through it. And part of that is what you just said. We, those of us who have been around for a while, we actually teach. Um, the fundamentals of the organization, the go over the corporate documents. But one of the things we teach is the culture. And every time I do my part, I kind of have two sessions that I do every time we do a line. Um, by teaching culture, it reminds me of our culture. And it reminds me sometimes of where I'm allowing it to slip. So I think, again, this is a great reminder um, for organizational leaders to put themselves in a place with new employees, especially where they're having to teach these things. Because if you teach it, you're going to have to do it, right? I mean, there's built-in accountability when I'm saying to new employees, this is how we do it here. And then I walk away going, are we still doing it that way here? Should we keep doing it that way here? So that's That kind of interface is super important. Well, that's all the time we have today, and we're gonna discuss the other three lies next time we're together. Um, Any parting words, Ginger, before we um, take a break?
1: You know, Andy, you you just said something about um, that those first experiences. Uh, my first experience when I knew I'd landed on a different planet at Southwest Airlines um, was I was borrowing a microwave from a, an adjoining department and to to warm up my lunch. And I apologized. I said I'm going to buy a microwave for my department. And the and the leader said oh, don't you dare. That's our profit sharing. You can use this microwave forever. That's when I knew I'd landed on a different planet at Southwest Airlines Mm. because they were so focused on cost that that leader didn't want us to go on, on about that. So what are those kind of stories that we continue to perpetuate and tell in our organization's that drive directly back to the values we're trying to instill.
0: That's a great reminder because every organization that's been around for any length of time has those legendary stories. And those of us who are around when those stories happened, we forget how important they are to pass along to new folks because they, in in so many ways, um, they represent the culture of the organization or the original culture that oftentimes we're trying to hang on to. Well, Ginger, thanks. And I look forward to the second part of this conversation where we talk about the three other lies we are tempted to believe when it comes to corporate culture. And to all of our listeners, we want to thank you for joining us. And I want to invite you to check out Ginger's masterclass on culture. It's entitled Unstoppable Cultures, plural, Fellowship. Unstoppable Cultures Fellowship. And you can find it at Unstoppable Cultures Fellowship. And as always, make sure to visit andystanley.com where you can download the Leadership Podcast application guide that goes with today's content. And of course, be sure not to miss next month as we conclude this important conversation with our guest, Ginger Hardidge.